Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, welcome to Quick Media's Come Follow Me series. We're covering Doctrine and Covenants, sections 58 and 59. We are continuing here with the theme of gathering, right, of Zion, of the law of consecration. These are all things that are being revealed right away at the beginning of the dispensation. And here the theme continues with the focus now in Missouri, with Joseph Smith finally in Missouri. Now, Joseph Smith had arrived in Missouri around the middle of July. And in that first week, W.W. Phelps, this is very interesting and kind of gives us a a baseline here for these two sections, especially 58. But W.W. Phelps goes out and he preaches the gospel in the West. What that means is outside of the United States, west of the boundaries of the United States. Uh, and he's teaching to all types of people, all groups of people. And I think this is a really important thing to see. And, and it kind of lays down, like I said, a baseline for this gathering, even though we're talking about the gathering of Israel. And in our minds, we think of, well, it's Israel is the lost 10 tribes and, and the Jews that we know of today. And maybe some remnants, the Lamanites and others, right? But in reality, as we, if we read Joseph Fielding Smith and Joseph F. Smith, Israel is also a people, right? They're the people of God, and there are those that are born into physically a mortal life into the house of Israel, and those that are adopted in. And so whether you're gathering the actual lost 10 tribes and the remnants of Israel or, which is significant, or you are gathering those that will be adopted into Israel, right? It, it's, it's all the same process. It's sending out the word of God to all parts of the world. And here, W.W. W. Phelps, the week before this, this revelation is given on August 1st, I believe. Yes, August 1st, 1831. He's outside of the United States preaching to every type of person, most races, right? Many races anyway, all right? Here's what Joseph Smith said about that here the week before he gives this revelation in in chapter uh, in section 58, and I think it's relevant. I think it, 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 Joseph Smith, is this is probably meaningful to him. He says, the first Sabbath after our arrival in Jackson County, Brother W.W. W. Phelps preached to a Western audience, over the boundary of the United States, wherein were present specimens of all the families of earth, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so he's, there, there were black people there, there were Lamanites there, Native American Indians, there were white people there. The gospel is going out to everybody. 
at this point, right? The gospel at this point is going out to everyone. And this kind of becomes a, 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 I, I think it fits right into what Joseph Smith is thinking and what, what is going through his mind and the revelations that he is receiving at this time. Now, after section 48 here, and this is going to be the day following this, so this would be August 2nd, Joseph and, and Sidney helped members of the Colesville branch who had come down, just about 60 of them, after Joseph Smith. They, they helped them lay the first log for a house as a foundation of Zion, right? And Sidney Rigdon consecrates the land of Zion, that is Jackson County, right? That's why we always, we don't just refer to independence. We actually refer a lot to Jackson County, Missouri, because Jackson County is the land that was consecrated by Sidney Rigdon for the gathering of Israel and for Zion. On the following day, that would be August 3rd, Joseph Smith lays the cornerstone of the temple in Independence, a mile and a half west of the New Brick Courthouse. Okay, with all of that in mind here, inserting in between those events, we have section 58 here. Let's start with verse 1. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, and give ear to my word, and learn of me what I will concerning you, and also concerning this land which I have sent you. Right. So this is the basis of the revelation. This is the basis of why they're going to Missouri, a place to build Zion and to gather Israel. Now, this is interesting, what the Lord does here. In verse 2, he goes right into kind of some of the things we've already been talking about here at the beginning of, of the Doctrine and Covenants. He says, For verily I say unto you, Blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death. Right? So some people are going to die. He's giving a warning of what everyone's going to have to go through to build Zion. But his focus is on keeping the commandments. And he that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute. That sounds a lot like meritocracy, right? That means that our actions matter. Our choices matter. We are moving more and more in the West into a world where, where meritocracy is, is being beaten down with a club. Works matter. Of course, grace has to be there, but works matter. It's how we become who we are supposed to become. And here, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. So there are different rewards in the kingdom of heaven based on what we choose. And then he says here, Ye cannot hold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall follow uh, after much tribulation. In other words, this is a perfect way of saying, look, eventually you will be able to withstand that, and you'll have all of that knowledge. But this is a process, and it happens through obedience. It happens through works, through your choices. And if you do this, right, he says, after, after much tribulation, this is the plan, come the blessings. Wherefore, the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand. Right? The process, 
which Korhor and Sherem and Nehor all seem to want to reverse, right? It's, it's tribulation, faith through that tribulation, and then the blessings, and then the signs, so to speak. And he follows through with this theme in verse 5. He says, remember this, which I tell you before, that you may lay it to heart and receive that which is to follow, which is, right? remember what he just told you about your works and, and trying and making choices and effort, tribulation, right? He follows it with this, receive this, that which is to follow. Behold, verily I say unto you, for this cause I have sent you, that you might be obedient and that your hearts might be prepared to bear testimony of the things which are to come. So again, they're not there yet. They have to get there. It's a process. It is a journey. And it's going to be much tougher than they think it is. And here in verse 7, and also that you might be honored in laying the foundation and in bearing record of the land upon which the Zion of God shall stand. So process, right? That's what we are doing today. We should be building Zion. We are supposed to be gathering Israel from all corners of the world, right? Becoming one, a people of Zion. But it's a process, and it requires effort. It requires love. It requires charity. It requires obedience. It requires our works. And it's not easy. And then, of course, the Lord goes to Isaiah here. And this is all referenced in Isaiah 25. And, of course, it's a major theme for Isaiah, right? The Gentiles, Israel, the Jews, the last days, everything messianic. Zion and the mountain of Zion, right, is, is all, these are all themes hit hard and heavy in Isaiah. Here is what verse 8 says, And also that a feast of fat things might be prepared for the poor, yea, a feast of fat things, of wine on the lees, which is the dregs, well refined, and that the earth may know that the mouths of the prophets shall not fail, yea, a supper of the house of the Lord, well prepared, unto which all nations shall be invited. So again, this is the focus of Mount Zion at the center here. This is now Jackson County as Mount Zion, the center for the gathering for all nations to be invited to. This is the gathering of Israel. And the feast that he's speaking of is, of course, the feast of the bridegroom. Who will be ready for that? Who will be invited to that? Here's what we get in chapter 25 of Isaiah that talks about Zion and the feast. It says in verse 4 here, For thou hast been a strength to the poor. Right? Remember what we've been talking about with the parable of the talents and the people being one. Right? For thou hast been a strength to the poor. That's poor in anything. A strength to the needy in his distress. A refuge from the storm. A shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall. And then in verse 6, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. So this is what Isaiah is talking about, right? He's talking about Zion being the center here, a, a gathering place for gathering Israel. And he's talking about the poor, right? And how they are helped, a strength to the poor. 
That's how we become one. We share our talents, our pieces of silver. Then interestingly, in verse 10, it gives a it gives an order as to who's invited and when they're invited. Right? It says, first, the rich and the learned, the wise and the noble will be invited. If this is speaking directly of these last days, which it obviously is, this is probably talking about the Gentiles. Right? This is the Gentiles who have um, been favored in, in technology and advancement and manufacturing, the Industrial Revolution, Western civilization that has brought them to that point. That's, that's what that's speaking of, right? But after that, it says, And after that cometh the day of my power. And in the day of his power, then shall the poor, the lame, and the blind, and the deaf come in unto the marriage of the Lamb and partake of the supper of the Lord prepared for the great day to come. So this is when, this is really what we're looking toward, right? The Gentiles are a launching pad. That's it. The day of the Gentile is a launching pad to bring the word, the word of God to the world, to bring the church to the world. But the day of the Gentile is going to pass. We might already be in the middle of that. And then it's the day of everybody else. It's the day of the gathering of, of Israel and all different peoples. As Joseph Smith said, specimens of all the families of the earth. And interestingly here, this, this in, in Isaiah, when we talk about the poor, there's four of them, right? The poor, the lame, the blind, and the deaf, right? The, the poor, the lame, the blind, and the deaf. These are the four things that you see happening in Jesus's miracles when he comes. It's that's, that's the healing that he gives, right, to, to those four categories primarily that you see. Now, it's more than that. You have the lepers and you have others, but those four categories are definitely covered. And Jesus is a fulfillment in some regards in his mortality of this exact thing. But it's not just Jesus in his mortality Let me say that again. It's not just Jesus in his mortality, but it's Jesus in his resurrected being, right? And and in his and in in his sacrifice his atoning sacrifice. Where that is 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 where we're all healed, right? All of us are poor in some regard. All are lame and blind and deaf. We all have issues. And we're all healed through him. Now, I think we get a little bit of temporal parallelism here with the idea in the afterlife. We get again Edward Partridge brought up here as the bishop, right? Because he's kind of the head of this idea of consecration everywhere. And he becomes the judge. And what does he do as a judge? Well, down in verse 17, it says he will be a judge in Israel, like as it was in ancient days, to divide the lands of the heritage of God unto his children. Okay? So we're talking about Jackson County here. But are we? Right? This is this is again the promised land. I, the the Zion eventually. This is this is exaltation. This is this is salvation at least to some degree. And so here we're told that the lands are going to be divided of an inheritance of God unto his children by a judge. This is where what land you get. Right? And so I see I think that that's it seems to me like it's kind of a foreshadowing of, you know, 
many mansions. I think it's also interesting that we get the division of lands here, just like in Israel, of a judge. And remember the time of the judges before King Saul in the Old Testament was you had the judge over each tribe, over each land that had been divided. It's kind of interesting. In 20, of course, we we have to insert here the fluid hierarchy. Let no man think he is ruler, but let God rule him that judgeth. We always have to have that submission so that that judgment ultimately comes, ultimately comes from God. And then in 22, we get a very difficult thing, I think, for, for many of us in many different lands. And that's the whole idea of, of giving to God what is God's, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And, 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 and we get the same thing here in verse 22. Wherefore, be subject to the powers that be until he reigns whose right it is to reign and subdues all enemies under his feet. Remember the footstool right at the uh, at the throne but that's not always an easy thing to do it's not an easy thing to do in in some cases it might be at times but for many that that has already been a very difficult thing then coming back down here to verse 26 we get more about the idea of what we are supposed to do our responsibility our duty Right? Think about if we were always looking at what our rights were with God. Well, this is my right, God. This is my right. I have the right for this. This is my right. Instead of turning it the other way and saying, I have a responsibility to God, and I need to give thanksgiving to God and be grateful for all of these things. I have a duty to serve him. Right? And, and we get back to the works here in verses 26 and, and, and a few after that. It says, For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. So why would that be the case? Why is that, is that a taskmaster after us? Not really, right? The task isn't always set up here. Sometimes we need to think of what the task needs to be. In other words, it's an issue of progress. This is something that helps us to progress. It's the Pharisees that wanted the tasks all set up to be taskmasters and wanted to pervert the law of Moses. Verse 27, we've heard this often. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. That is... That is powerful. That is, God, that just rings so true to me. You know, I, to, to, to be anxiously engaged in a good cause, do many things of your own free will. Pray about it and come up with it and bring to pass much righteousness. If we are, that means if we're always dependent on the Lord to tell us what to do at all times, I don't think that we're actually growing into the people that we're supposed to be. And we're told right here, just like Lehi tells us, right? For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. And inasmuch as men do good, they shall in no wise lose their reward. It's like, like Lehi tells us, right? We, some of us are, you know, we, we, we are made to act, not to be acted upon. And that's, that's an unbelievable gift, Right, it's it's that's that's an incomprehensible gift, but it comes with responsibility, and it comes with maybe some shame if we don't fulfill it. 
It comes with difficulty in how we feel about ourselves sometimes. And so therefore, sometimes it's easier to push that responsibility away or to think about being anxiously engaged and to progress and to grow. And some people choose that. But the Lord has created us with that incredible power of agency to be agents unto ourselves. Now, what does this remind you of that we've been talking about? How about one more verse here, 29? But he that doeth not anything until he is commanded and receiveth a commandment with doubtful heart and keepeth it with slothfulness, the same is damned. Right? Think about the parable of the talents and the one that receives the one talent and buries it. Right? That is, that is a, exactly to me the principle that the Lord is bringing up here. And the Lord says right here, Who am I that made man, saith the Lord, that will hold him guiltless, that obeys not my commandments? That might seem scary, but at the same time, it's opportunity, right? Focus on the opportunity to be able to choose well and then try hard to choose well. Glass half full. A couple more points in this section. We get here in 42 and 43 about repentance and being forgiven. And of course, this is crucial, right? We've just been talking about Okay, the Lord's giving us this, these pieces of silver. He's giving us our agency and these gifts. Are we going to be good stewards of them? Are we going to be responsible? Are we going to work? Are we going to use our agency properly? Well, sometimes we don't. Here, here's where he's going to help out, right? Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. I think that's, that's such an important principle to understand. And, and, and to believe, you've got to believe that. I've been in circumstances where maybe myself sometimes and, and maybe others where there's been a repentance process and it's hard for some people to believe that those sins are no longer remembered. And we've got to do that. That is, that is part of, of the freedom of the shackles of sin is to believe that the Lord will remember them no more if we have truly repented of them. And how do you know this? If a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. Right, so that's true repentance. And there is just something about you know, even if it's a smaller sin and you say it out loud to me, to the Lord in, in prayer, you know, if I do that to, in, in prayer and, you know, I say it out loud, may not be in front of my wife all the time, but, you know, like, you know, hey, I, you know, I should have done this. Why didn't I do this? You know, and if I say it out loud and, and I'm just, you know, I'm, that's just my opinion and my experience. But there's something about that idea of the, of the confession there that makes sense. It does something to me. I don't know if it's just a metaphysical change or, you know, it's certainly a spiritual change. And, and then, of course, to forsake them. You're no longer doing them. That is, that is true repentance. You can't, you know, true repentance is to give it up. 
And then, of course, in 55, let all these things be done in order. That's, that's our DBR, right? And let the work of the gathering be not in haste. Interesting. Nor by flight, right? We're not frantic about this. He talked about this in the last couple sections, in, er, earlier in, in the 50s here, sections of 50. I think it was 51 and 52, right, that we don't have to act all the time like it's doomsday. That's not how you act. You prepare, but you're not frantic. You're, you're secure in your decision, in, in, in the way you're living because of the way you're living, right? But let it be done as it shall be counseled by the elders of the church at the conferences according to the knowledge which they receive from time to time. Well, of course, that's our general conference. And listening to uh, the prophets speak, then that gives us more counsel on where we are and what we need to be doing. How do we prepare? How do we help gather Israel? Okay. Then over here in uh, section 59, we get a little bit of confirmation on some of the things that we got in 58. In verse 2, for those that live that inherit, shall inherit the earth, and those that die shall rest from all their labors and their works shall follow them. I don't know how you would interpret that. To me, the way that seems is, is I have become something because of my works, right? Because of the works that I have here in mortality, those works will follow me in the sense that I have become somebody. It's, and, and we're told this elsewhere in Scripture, right? It's not like all of a sudden you're going to die and then everything's easy. No, it, it's going to matter who you have become. So again, works are important. They will follow you. You are literally laying up treasures in heaven through your works if they are righteous. And then along with the idea of those lands of Israel being assigned uh, and acting as our afterlife and our exaltation, salvation, etc., then says, and they shall receive a crown in the mansions of my Father, which I have prepared for them. Three I really like. Again, Isaiah. This is Isaiah 52, 7. We get this a lot in the Book of Mormon, a lot in the Book of Mormon, especially centered in, in with, with Abinadi and King Noah and his priests, right? Verse 3, Yea, blessed are they whose feet stand upon the land of Zion, who have obeyed my gospel. Now, who is this? Who are these people? Who is this? Right? It, well, these, this scripture has been interpreted in many different ways in biblical scholarship. But Abinadi tells us exactly what this means. And he gives us three examples of the symbol of these feet. They are Jesus Christ himself, they are the prophets, and maybe those that hold the Melchizedek priesthood, and they are all of those who follow Christ and become his sons, so to speak. That is, they follow him, they believe in him, his sons and his daughters. For they shall receive for their reward the good things of the earth, and it shall bring forth in its strength. And then he gives us the two great commandments here that we get in Deuteronomy and in the New Testament. And a 
core anchor for our quick interpreter of a values hierarchy, right? He says this, Wherefore I give unto them a commandment, saying thus, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, mind, and strength. And in the name of Jesus Christ, thou shalt serve him. So one is above the other. There's the first great commandment and the second great commandment. And by the way, neither of those can be without the other. Just like the the heavens can't be without the earth. The higher law cannot be without the lower law. This is all about right here where we talk about loving God first and then and then loving your neighbor as thyself. This is the gathering of Israel. And by the way, and I've done recent podcasts on this, some of you may have heard, this, this is the answer here, right? It might need to be extrapolated more, created into programs or other things, but as far as different cultures coming together, different peoples, different races, there are ideologies out there that are very pernicious and wrong. And, and this is the ideology that we need to follow, which is the ideology of, of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and yes, there's much more to this. It's a whole different episode. But, but there it is right there. That's the primary, if we want to give a slogan, to how we bring everybody together. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The golden rule. And then we go through a few of the Ten Commandments that are in here that he gives. Then he talks about a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That is the submission. That is going into a fluid hierarchy. That is what we need when we get baptized. That's what we need to be always, right, in, in submitting into that fluid hierarchy. And it has always been that way, and it has always been required. And then interestingly enough, the following verse here, that was verse 8, Let me go back to verse 8 here and read that. Thou shalt offer a sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in righteousness, even that of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Okay, again, a broken heart and a contrite spirit are required for the ordinance of baptism. That's part of what you're doing when you're going down into the waters, in a sense, right? You're you're bearing, you're, you're submitting yourself and you're bearing others' burdens. You're even lowering yourself below others. It's a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And so it's natural that in verse 9, he goes to this. It says, And that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world, thou shalt go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacraments upon my holy day. Well, of course, that's where you're going to renew your baptismal covenants. And then he gives us this advice, really this context about fasting and prayer here. Verse 13, he says, And on this day thou shalt do none other thing, being the Sabbath. Only let thy food be prepared with singleness of heart, that thy fasting may be perfect. Okay? Do we oftentimes think about how our fasting might be perfect? I don't, right? But I should. Or in other words, that thy joy may be full. So, in other words, to have a perfect fast is to make your joy full in that fast. It's not a complaining. It's not a glass-half-empty fast. It's a glass-half-full fast. In fact, it's a glass-full fast, right? It's 
realizing that you are paying a price, you are bearing a burden for someone else. So as you, let's just call it, you know, suffering with a very small S, you do that for someone else, you bear their burdens, you master it, and you receive joy for that. He says it again here in 14. Verily, this is fasting and prayer, or in other words, rejoicing in prayer. So fasting is actually rejoicing if we're doing it perfectly. And then in 15, we, he brings in, the again, the idea of gratitude. That, that's part of that submission, and that's, that's always got to be there. It's such a difference in attitude when we have thanksgiving. That is what the prayers ask us to do, the blessings on the bread and on the water, right, is to remember what the Lord has done. It, in other words, they're saying, have gratitude, have thanksgiving. For what? For the opportunity that has been given to you. And inasmuch as ye do these things with thanksgiving, with cheerful hearts, there's that rejoicing, and countenances, not with much laughter, for this is sin, but with a glad heart and a cheerful countenance. So what what is he saying there? What does that mean? We've heard that before. Jesus talks about that with the Pharisees that go about fasting and their countenance is down. And why, why, is it, why would that matter so much? Why is that an eternal principle? Because I think what it means is, is that it's not about us. If, if you, you've got to step outside of yourself. So a perfect fast to be joyful and, and, and to rejoice in it is not to think about your problem that you're going through. How does that help us every other, in every other thing we do in life? How does that help us when we help others, when it's not fasting? If we can do that when we fast, I think it helps change our perspective of when we serve sometimes and when we go through some issues for somebody else. We do it with cheerful hearts and with thanksgiving that we have the opportunity to help. That's not always easy. And then we come back down here to the Garden of Eden story. Whenever you see these things, always refer back to the Garden of Eden. All right, here's, we get this here uh, in 16. Verily I say that inasmuch as ye do this, the fullness of the earth is yours. Right, so this is the fullness of the earth is given to Adam and Eve, right? The beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and that which climbeth upon the trees and walketh upon the earth. Yea, and the herb and the good things which come of the earth, whether for food or for raiment, or for houses or for barns or for orchards or for gardens or for vineyards. And for us, it's many other things. Everything comes from the earth, unless you have a moon rock. Yea, all things which come of the earth in the season thereof are made for the benefit and the use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart. I think that, again, if we look at all of that and in, in a sense of gratitude for what we've been given, I think that's a big part of what we're being told in that story. That we have dominion over all these things. We should have gratitude that we do. And then he summarizes here with what he began with in verse 23. But learn that he who doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life 
in the world to come. That is the whole principle of hope that we get between the bookends of faith and charity. I'll talk to you next time. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 